Uh, I want to begin today by telling you a story about a researcher. And the researcher's name is Jonathan Haidt. Uh, not the way you would think it's spelled, but Jonathan Haidt. And he's a researcher. He used to do some work at UVA, University of Virginia, and then he did some work at NYU. Uh, and uh, he spent a number of years working on the subject called uh, moral psychology. It's the word moral plus the word psychology. And among other things, he taught and wrote on civility and politics. And he wrote this incredible book, which I recommend everyone read. It's not like a Christian book, but that shouldn't matter. We should read books, right? Uh, the book is called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And, uh, of course, I was interested in this book. What, what, what is it about people that divides us around politics and religion? And one of the things that uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, Dr. Haidt, wrote about uh, is he and he researches our decisions and how our decisions affect our, uh, you know, how our biases uh, play into our decision making. And by studying some of the works of Kohlberg and combining it with his own laboratory research uh, and his testing, he, what he found and confirmed is very interesting. And here's the deal. What he discovered or what he was able to prove is that we as human beings, we generally, when we need to form an opinion, when we make decisions, we usually start with our gut, with our intuition, with our emotions. And then after we've kind of decided something in our gut uh, or in our emotions or in our intuition, then we find logical reasons to support what we've already decided. And this is a really fascinating thing because what it ends up being is, okay, I feel like this is what I want to do, and then I find reasons to support what I want to do. And this is, this is huge um, because this explains a lot. I mean, have you ever tried to reason with somebody and they just weren't listening? They weren't listening to anything you had to say, and you were trying to convince somebody of something, and it was like, you're not even listening. There's no reasoning. You aren't even listening to reason. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever, by show of hands, like you're trying to convince them they're using all the right arguments, and here's the facts, and here's the data, and they're like, no, I'm not listening to you. Well, this is the reason for that. That most of our decisions are made here, or in our hearts, or in our intuition first, and then we find reasons to support it. And his research explains that you and I can be anchored. We can be anchored. The fact is, is that we can emotionally decide what we think about something uh, before any new or after any new information comes out. If I tell you something that there's new information, sometimes we can already be anchored and decided on what we want to hear and what we're willing to accept or not accept. And no matter what new information I present to you, you won't change your mind. Your opinion is set no matter what new information comes out, even before you've heard the facts. And this explains why when you post on social media your brilliant thoughts about politics, this is why no one's mind has ever changed. And, you know, I know some of you may think that, but, like, you're, like, uh, you're on the far whatever side you pick. And you're saying, oh, man, this is my view on this, this, and this. And you shame someone or someone shames someone else and says, if you believe this, you're the worst thing and this and that and the other. There's no one on the way other side of this that's like, oh, yeah, I do feel shame. Thank you so much for explaining your political point of view. I now stand corrected. No. No, they don't think that way because they're, 
their, their belief in their political position is more rooted in their emotions and in their intuition than it is logical facts. If you need further evidence, just take any married couple in any argument or any kind of heated argument. And what you'll find, like for instance, my wife and I, I've never been wrong in our marriage. And in our marriage, I'm never wrong. And whenever we have to have a discussion, it's usually because she's escalating and I'm very calm. And no matter how clear I provide arguments and logical statements, and my tone is just perfect in every sentence, no matter how much I do, it's like she won't listen to, re to, listen to reason. These are jokes. I can see new people being like, this guy's mean. Like, <laughs> so, but no, but like, no, when you're in an argument, it's like no new information can come in. You're sort of anchored. You're sort of set. And that's what's up. And so, you know, why am I talking about this? Well, before Jonathan Haidt, before Kohlberg, before even people like Rene Descartes, the French philosopher, uh, before all these people, there was a man, there is a man named Jesus. And Jesus understood the heart. He understood how people can be anchored in what they already think, and they can decide emotionally at the foundational level of their life what's most important. And he understood that how people set priorities and what people build their allegiances around can affect their ability to really discover all that he has to offer. And so what we're going to look at today is some verses in the Bible from the life of Jesus. And what we see is that Jesus invites us to reprioritize everything. And he begins to challenge us on that emotional, intuitive level, especially around things where we may be angered. Are you with me? Does this make sense? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite God's presence. Uh, I've called today's talk the Upside Down Life. So will you pray with me? So God, you know, we want to hear from you, and uh, I just want to speak as I should. And so I ask that you would help me to do that. I pray that your spirit would be here. And God, I ask that we would understand the call you're making to some of us to follow you and what it actually means. So please be with us today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So in the life of Jesus, you know, one of the most fun things is that everywhere he went, there was a crowd usually trying to get his attention because he was doing cool stuff. He would walk into rooms and he would heal everybody. Or he would say things that they had never heard before. Or he would have, he had the ability and the power to know what was going on in people's hearts and minds. And he would say, is this going on with you? And they'd be like, how did you know? And he's like, well, you know, I'm connected to God. I am God. And there was, so everywhere he went, there would be this big group of people. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're in. We're on Jesus' team. We're on Jesus' team, JC. We're on team Jesus. Let's, we're on this team. Yeah, this is working. And Jesus challenges what it actually means to be connected to him. And if you haven't found it yet, in your worship guide, there's something that has announcements. And on the backside, there's some verses you can follow along with me. And this is Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 37. It says, this is going to get a little harsh. Are you ready? Ready for the harshness? Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So, from the outset, obviously, 
Jesus is not saying that we should not love our moms or our dads uh, or that we shouldn't care about children. This would be contradictory to everything else Jesus has said and spoken about love. And Jesus very much cares about the family. So it doesn't make, context, it doesn't make contextual sense uh, for us to like not love our, and care for our families. And also we see that we're not supposed to literally carry, we should see that we're not supposed to literally carry around a cross. Now, if you live in Santa Monica, there's a guy that walks around with the crosses. Have you seen that guy? And he's got a wheel attached. Jesus never had a wheel, but this guy has a wheel. So, and you know, and so I, one time I yelled at Adam, I shouldn't have done that, but anyway, I said, Jesus never had a wheel. Uh, so, uh, so you don't have to literally carry around a cross and nor are we supposed to take on the metaphorical, like, hey, you know, there's a, you know, lethal injection, carry around your lethal injection pack everywhere you go. And nor does it mean that we have to try to get ourselves killed in every potential situation, as some have been to tried to make to assume, even though sometimes when we live out our faith to the fullest, it means that we end up dying for our faith. That is true. That does happen. And it isn't saying, as some have tried to pretend, that what matters is following God in our own way. So what is it that Jesus is actually saying here? What is he talking about here? What's happening? Well, what he's talking about, he's saying something very important about our allegiances, and about our identities. Now, let me talk to you about identities. What is an identity? Well, in this ancient time, in first century Palestine, where Jesus was with all these people, Jesus' audience, who was listening to him talk, their entire identities, who they were, how they viewed the world, was looked at, was foundationally buried deep within the family family expectations. It was to be a good husband or a good wife. It was to be a good son or a good daughter. It was everything you were was kind of understood through the context of your family. And so Jesus is saying you got to reject that. And that's kind of different than what we in the West do. This is Western culture. We call this Western culture, United States, what we experience in LA. In Western culture, it's not rooted generally in family. Our Western culture is rooted in what? Individualism. I don't know what you said, but I'm assuming you said individualism. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Brianna. Individualism. Yeah. <laughs> Individual. Our identity is rooted in our individuality. Well, what does that mean? At the very core of what we believe about the world, I get to decide what's best for me. I decide my path and my future. Now, when... Um, uh, you know, centuries ago, back in this culture, if you grew up in the family, whatever family you were in, and your parents were carpenters or masons, that's what you became. You became that. That's not the case in Western culture. In Western culture, my dad was a firefighter, and I became a pastor. That's a new development. That's not what used to happen. But the way that happens, the way I become a pastor, my dad is a firefighter, retired firefighter. Then he went into real estate. If you're anyone looking in the Sarasota area. So he would love that. So, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's pretty good at what he does. Yeah, yeah he's good. Nicole, thanks. Thanks, wife. Um, so, yeah, so the way that happens is that we don't make decisions based on what the family wants or our family identity. Uh, even families look at their children and they go, well, what do you want to be? This is what I did with my life, so what do you want to be? Uh, but back in the time of Jesus, we didn't look at the world through our individualism. Our identities weren't formed around what we thought was best for us. Our identity, who we were as people, our value was determined and it was connected to our families, what our families thought, our family expectations. And in this moment, 
where your entire identity is built around your family, Jesus walks in and he goes, not going to work, not going to happen. I'm totally being disruptive here. And loud and clear, he's saying, you're anchored. You're anchored emotionally into your family. You're anchored emotionally into what mom and dad think or what your siblings think or what generations of your family line think. It's almost impossible. I see this. It's almost impossible for you to change your mind on this matter. But here I am. I come to you and I'm telling you, allegiance to me is more important than your allegiance to your family. Wow, that's heavy. And Jesus, what we see is he's challenging the anchored the emotionally charged, the main organizing principle of his day, the family, and he's saying allegiance to him. This is his ideas, his call, his direction, his commands is more important than the organizing principle of his day, which is family. And again, I need to be clear, he's not saying you can abandon your family, you can ghost your family. This isn't an episode of The Maury Show where you, uh, you, you know, it's not about deadbeat dads. Like, Jesus very much cares about the family, but what he's talking about is he's challenging them on how they build their lives, how they build their identity, how they determine their priorities. And he's saying, look, if you want to follow me, I've got to be number one in your life. And this was a very hard teaching for people who built their lives around their families. And I don't think it's any easier of a teaching today. It's hard. I mean, if we want to take Jesus seriously today, we need to ask, in what do modern Americans build their sense of worth, build their sense of identity? What do you think it is? Work. Okay, cool. So it's going full circle back on Brianna. Brianna, yeah, yeah, I do. They build it on work. They build it on work, right? That's one of them. That's good. Um, just pause. I don't need more feedback from the audience, real quick. <laughs> it's throwing me off. I gotta get to you know, but like the issue, just as you know, Jesus uh, built uh, Jesus followers at his, at that original time were building their lives around yeah their family identities. If if you want to be a Jesus follower today, uh, Jesus is going to challenge any identity that we build that's other than Him, and so you know it's different than the monocultural. Uh, you know, in, in, in first century Palestine, there was like really one main culture, which is family identity culture. Different than that, we have a spectrum of identities that are generally built on individualism. All right. That was a lot of words. Are we still, are, does that make sense? But like, you know, the, it's, it begins with individualism, the autonomous self, meaning that people today value their free will, their expression to determine who they are, what's best for them. They can build their entire identity around the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, kind of the Jeffersonian way of life where like, I decide what's right for me and to adjust and we change into whatever fits what we think is best for us. Uh, what matters in life is my will, right? And from that foundation of individualism, uh, different identities are formed, okay? And so we've heard two that say work. That's good. That's good. Work is one of those uh, identities that are formed. What else is there? There's gender identity, like, that's a really big topic right now. What is, you know, we base our entire identity on our gender. Uh, another would be race and cultural heritage. We organize our entire life. The organizing principle is around our lenses of race or ethnicity. People organize their entire life around religion. 
about their faith and where they land in the faith and where they're positioned in the faith. Some people organize their entire identity, they see their identity through the lens of their nation. This is a growing identity. This is the idea of nationalism. This is the idea of, you know, national pride. They look at the world through the lens of who they are in the country that they live. Some people mention career and success. Some people mention money. They look at the money that security, uh, the security that money gives them. They build their lives around that. Some people organize their identity around their sexuality. Who they sleep with actually matters, and that's the founding, the organizing principle of their life. Other people do it around a romantic partner. They look at the they look at their entire life through the lens of does this person that I think loves me do, do they love me back and do I love them? Are we progressing to create a world of love the world has never seen before? Uh, you know we are and like and they look at who they are the very core of their being, the organizing principle of their life, is their romantic relationship with somebody else. Now, those are examples of identities that are formed in our culture. Uh, in in uh, ancient Palestine, where Jesus was, there was just basically one, which was your identity probably in nation and family. And so I want to say to you, is, th is there a problem with having an identity? Is there a problem with, ha uh, like, like, any of the things that I brought up? Like, I don't think so. No, not at all. But I think that what Jesus is getting at is there's a problem when we become so anchored in our identity that we're unable to take in what Jesus is offering to us. You see what I'm saying on, the, on that level? And it's when we are anchored into our identity and it has priority over Jesus, this is where Jesus may come in and he might challenge us at an emotional level. And he will, you will find this, he will challenge anything in your life that you're anchored into that competes with him. Anything that you've built your life upon or around or have made the organizing principle, he will challenge that if you've made it more important than him. And the deal is this. Jesus knew, just as Rene Descartes knew, just as Kohlberg knew, and just as uh, Jonathan Haidt knew, uh, he knew that each of us, Jesus understood that each of us have the tendency to anchor in to dig into something that can be other than Jesus. So whenever we, on an emotional level, at the subterranean levels of our hearts, whenever we say to God, you know what, God? I think I've got this part figured out. You can work on anything else in my life. You're welcome into my house, but you're not allowed into this room. This room is awful. I've got this worked out. This is too core, and you might have something to say about it, but you know what? I'm not sure if I'm going to like what you have to say about it. So everything but this area of my life or my core foundation of who I see myself, everything but that, um, you know, you can touch that. And here's what it is. Whenever we limit, whenever we limit the word or the influence of God uh, because we're unwilling or we don't know what's going to happen if he starts poking around down there, uh, you know, that's when, that's the thing that Jesus will challenge. And that, you know, that's the kind of thing that Jesus is going to challenge when it comes to commitment to him. And, you know, generally as a pastor, what I've found over the years is, uh, you know, the issue is that many people, when they have interest in Jesus, 
they will welcome or they will reject parts of Jesus, or they'll never fully reject him and they'll never fully welcome him in. Uh, and that's generally because they don't want to have to address what they already believe about the world. They don't want to be challenged by some of the things that they already believe. And they say, Jesus, I want you, uh, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to have you in this part of my life. You know, Jesus, I want your blessing. I want to be blessed, but I am not interested in what you have to say about my sex life. Jesus, I want your financial blessing, but I'm not sure I'm ready or interested to hear what you have to say about generosity. You know, Jesus, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I want, I want to, uh, you, I want to accept you into my life, and I, uh, and I want you to show me grace. But I'm not sure that I'm ready to welcome this person who's been showing up to this church. I don't like the way they are. I don't like whatever about them. I'm not sure if I'm ready to welcome them in. I don't like their political views. I don't know their political views. They're sus or whatever it is. Like you know, whatever it is. Like you know, Jesus, I want the grace but I don't think I should have to show this person love or grace in this situation. And Jesus says, that won't work if you want to follow me. And Jesus makes it very clear that if we want to follow him, we don't start with our personal identity about how the world works, plus add Jesus afterwards. It's not foundational identity, plus my rights, plus Jesus. It's not all your deeply held beliefs, then you add Jesus on. Uh, Jesus will always challenge that because he's offering something different. And he says, hey, anyone who's anchored, anyone who's anchored in their family more than me, that's not going to work. If your identity is around being, the, uh, being successful, that's not going to work. If anyone bases their identity about their ability to, uh, uh, be, to uh, express themselves, their individuality, there's a challenge there. If anyone looks at the kingdom of God through the lenses of their national pride in the United States, if anyone uh, says, here's my identity and here's who I sleep with and when, and then let's just add Jesus in afterwards. If anyone who makes their yearning for romantic love and commitment as the priority, then we'll try to fit in Jesus later. If anyone looks, as, looks at the gospel through the lenses of their political affiliations first and then tries to add in Jesus afterwards, Jesus says, that's not what we're doing here. That's not going to cut it. It's a mistake. And here's the kicker. He goes, I'm telling you this for your own good. It's not just to make things difficult. I'm telling you for your own good. So let me ask you a personal question. What is your life anchored into? What is the organizing principle of your life? Do not shout it out. Just tell, think to yourself, what is it? What are you anchored into? What's your life about? What is it? Is there anything, and if you're a follower, if, so if you're, if you're just here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this, isn't, this part isn't for you. This is for people that have said they want to follow Jesus. This, is, this is part of it would be more of the family. So you can sit this one out. Whew, Chris isn't talking to me. <laughs> you're like, I don't know what I believe about God. We are really glad that you're here, right? Because faith in God and you're in a field, it's 9 in the morning, 10 in the morning, whatever it is. Like, I get that. So, but these are for, this is an application for the people that have said, you know what, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. And, you know, if you're a Jesus follower, a Christian, you might call yourself, is there anything in your life where you'd say, Jesus is welcome everywhere but here? 
And the way you can kind of get at that, if you're going to be honest with yourself, is mm, I'm just not going to think about that right now. Usually there's a, we have this way of like pushing it out of our minds. Everything is good. But I would invite you in the next few moments in the next week, lean into that. Why? Why is it that he can touch everything in your life except for that? And that's the thing that Jesus is inviting to create allegiance to him, and it's for a really good reason. And uh, what is it? Well, um, he offers the upside-down life. So in, your ver- in the little sheet, you can look at the verse. Look what he says here. This is really interesting. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What we see is that Jesus offers a completely new identity, a new family connected to that identity. He offers us an identity that's not rooted in something created. It's an identity that's rooted in in something else. It's rooted in the creator. And he says, organize your life around me. Make me the priority. Learn my ways. Study my ways. Make me your number one, and you will never be disappointed. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, this is a guy, Paul, um, uh, he, was, he wrote most of the Bible after Jesus was on earth. If, if you didn't know that, uh, he wrote a bunch of the books of the Bible. Paul wrote that, and much of what he wrote about after uh, he wrote, uh, when he wrote things down, was his, the new identity that we have in Jesus. And there's this really interesting verse in Galatians where it kind of adds to what Jesus is saying here, and it says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And what we get is, is this glimpse in this picture of all the labels that we sometimes put on ourselves, that we sometimes think we need to label ourselves to show our true identity. Jesus is saying there's a new identity that's bigger, it's more powerful, because it's not connected in something that can disappoint you, it's connected in a person. And his name is Jesus. And the irony is, in all of this, is that when we lay down our will, when we choose to make our rights as individuals, when we choose not to make our rights as individuals the basis of our identity, when we surrender to Jesus, as some call it, even when we say, Jesus, you know, I submit to you, even if I don't like it, even if there's things that you might say about my life, even if it fits with the culture or not, I lean into your understanding, Jesus, I build my life around you as the person. And I might not know everything, and I don't need to know everything, and I don't have it perfect, but Jesus, I build my found, the foundation of my life on you. When we do that, that's when this Jesus thing actually works. That's how our faith actually works. It's actually when we find the true meaning of life. And it's weird because Jesus is saying, if you try to pursue all the things you think will make you happy, it won't work. But ironically, when you limit your options, when you limit uh, your freedoms to pursue what God has or what God's will is for our lives, that's when we experience the freedom that we're looking for. And we begin to see a world that opens up around us that we never thought we could see before. It's more profound. It's more helpful. It's clear. And things are sorted at the foundational level of our lives. And the promise of Jesus is this, that when we, when we, we will find our truest selves, the thing we're actually looking for, when we lay everything down 
metaphorically at the feet of Jesus and we say, Jesus, we want to know you, we want to serve you. And when we organize our life around that, we don't fall down, we actually fall upwards. And our hope, the hope we've been looking for, actually starts to take root in our lives. Now, I'm going to tell part of this story at Welcome to Church Lunch, but you need to hear this. Um, how do we organize our lives? Well, you know, I came from a family that um, uh, was full of addiction and abuse. Both sides. Terrible. Terrible family. And, you know, um, my, my dad, uh, in a long time ago, went into the Navy uh, as an addict. He was, apparently he would started drinking by the time he was 11. He was addicted by 18, got kicked out of the house when he was 18, and found himself in the military. He was about to get kicked out of the military for his alcohol abuse. He was an addict. And, um, and well, guess what? He had to go to AA, and he was about to get kicked out of AA. You gotta be, he's a pretty bad boy. Uh, and, uh, and he almost got kicked out of AA because he wouldn't admit to, uh, you know, principle number two, that there's some higher power. <laughs> you know, he couldn't even get to past step two. And, but there was this moment where he remembered that he had gone to this church a long time ago, and he was desperate. He was not going to make it. He couldn't overcome his addictions. Everybody hated him. He didn't even know if he wanted to keep living. You know, life was at its lowest for him, and he turned to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to save me, and in that moment, he reorganized his entire life. It wasn't so much his ego, what he wanted to accomplish in life, his, um, his addictions, all the stuff, all the things that were op his operating system for life were instantly, through the power of Jesus, broken off in that moment, and from that point on, uh, it's been 40-some years, he's never had a drink again. And he came out of that, finished up his time in the Navy. He ran into my mom. They both started grooving. And they had me. And they were like, well, how do we even, like, do this? I, there should be a place where people who want to follow Jesus can come together with other people who follow Jesus. What, you know, they're, they're, one of their big ideas was we should go to a church See if you can find that there. And, you know, um, so they went to the Catholic Church, that, and there's nothing wrong with Catholic Church, but they, went to, but they didn't make a connection there. My dad remembered that when he was in third grade, there was a few weeks that he had, a few months that he had gone to a church when his dad had gotten sober for a little bit. So he decided to go back to this church. It's called Grace Church, Grace Church in Middleburg Heights, Ohio. They go through the doors, and my dad introduces himself to the pastor, and the pastor is like, yeah, Chris Meekins, I know exactly who you are. I remember you from third grade. And he looks at him, and he says, welcome home. Welcome home. And you got to understand, like, what does that do for a young couple that's coming out of addiction and abuse? They don't know how to follow Jesus. Uh, what that did is that brought my parents in, and it gave them a new family. And from that new family, they were shown a new identity, a new way of living that could be better and bigger and bolder and more full of hope than they ever imagined. And that's what they got. And so as myself and my three siblings were raised in this home, we got a new picture of a new identity and a new way of being that we could have never imagined. And that came from two parents that just went, God, we got to do this differently. We got to find a different way to organize our life. 
And I tend to believe that I don't know that we would have experienced all the things we experienced as kids had they not been willing to organize their entire life and be open to what Jesus wanted to do in all those ways. And in every way that they could, I looked at them, they didn't hold anything back. There wasn't Jesus plus. And I look at us today and I go, you know, hey, that is, that is the call of Jesus, that there is this thing that seems upside down, the upside down kingdom, where it seems like we have to hold on to what we think is best in order to uh, have the identity and the, lo- the life that we want to have. And Jesus says, don't. Turn your life to me and watch me grow it into something that you could have never imagined. Now, all that takes, all that, it all takes faith. It takes a risk. And faith is nothing more, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That when we want to exert faith, we step out in faith and we say, you know what, God, I trust you. I want to see you work in my life. And so, you know, the research is out there. It's possible, just like I talked about in the introduction, it's possible to be rooted and anchored into something. And what will you do? You're going to be rooted and anchored into something. What will you do? Will you hold on to the life that you've built? Or will you consider building your life and organizing your life around Jesus?